Good morning. So much would be better in our world if everybody in America sang that song and lived according to it, remembering what it's saying. Thank you, kiddos. I've, uh, I've entitled today's message, Free Speech. And I want to remind you of what uh, our founding fathers originally recorded for us in the U.S. Constitution as we begin, all right? It's on the screen here. This is what uh, the U.S. Constitution says in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And I could just go off on that a little bit if I wanted to because exercise of the religion is different than just worship. So keep that in mind as you listen to politicians in our world. Uh, it is brought, worship is part of the exercise of our religion, but there's more to it than that. And so uh, if they want to dumb it down someday, that's a problem. But I just want you to be aware of that. So pay attention to the, the amendment for that. Uh, keep that in your mind. So shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. This is the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Our founding fathers created this as a part of the Bill of Rights in order to give the American people um, many guarantees, actually, but particularly among them the freedom of the speech, one of the, one of the big ones. It's a uh, rare and beautiful thing, what we have in the First Amendment. Having said that, in our day, we are all witnesses to the deterioration and misuse of freedom of speech. Have you noticed that? Freedom of speech has been steadily deteriorating and degenerating in recent years into freedom to lie, freedom to slander, freedom to defame, freedom to mock and insult and manipulate Frankly, most of us aren't quite sure what to do about it. Sadly, there are those in our culture who aren't sure what to do about it, and their inclination is to think, because I see this by some government officials or people in high places or people in the media, somehow I conclude this is just how I'm going to be at work now or how I'm going to behave in my neighborhood or various other places of life. And... What I would say, and I think what uh, is important for us to keep in mind here, is that you and I may not be able to change everybody else, but I can do something about me. You can do something about you with regard to this. And it is important that we uh, look carefully, be reminded by the creator of our mouths how to use our mouths. And that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to remind all of us how the creator of our mouth has instructed us in Scripture to speak. And my hope is that you and I will listen closely because every one of us has room in this area to grow. I mean, there is absolutely no one on the planet in America, especially now, no one in America who can't grow in this, I am convinced. I, I, I could make my case if you want to go off on that tangent later. But I, I think every one of us can grow in this area. So for the next few minutes, we're going to focus together on five biblical words of insight that can help us practice free speech God's way. And my hope is that you'll just take notes, which means grab a pen and find a piece of paper there in your hand out there. And if you do nothing else but write down these passages of Scripture that I'm going to walk you through this morning, uh, they will serve you well 
And uh, if our entire nation heard this, it would serve it well. The first biblical word of insight is this. If we're going to use our mouths the way God would have us to, we've got to rebel against our culture. That's the first biblical word of insight. We must rebel against our culture. Where does the Bible say that, you say, someone? Let me just respond by saying it says that everywhere. Everywhere all over the place in Scripture that we should rebel against our culture. When God gave his people the Ten Commandments, do you remember the Ninth Commandment? Remember it? You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Thou shalt not lie. Right? God gave that commandment because the prevailing culture's tendency at the time was to lie if it served their interests. That was not to be so among God's people. He wanted them to live counter-culturally. He wants us to live counter-culturally in this respect. The rest of Scripture reinforces this expectation. It, it shows up everywhere. And just to give you a few examples, let me walk you through a little bit of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And this is just one book. I could walk you through a whole bunch of them. And you just see this like, it'd be like a boxer. You'd just be getting... Went one right after the another as you work your way through Scripture. Ephesians 4.15 says this, Speak the what? Truth. Truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who was not is the truth and was not is the embodiment of love. Speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. A few verses later, verse 25 says, Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for all parts of the same body. A few verses later, it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Tell us what to do with our mouths. Don't use foul language. Let everything you say, think about the words, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. A few verses later, chapter 5, verse 4 says, Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Let that characterize your speech, your, your language. If we skip to Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, which is just a creative way of saying, let grace-filled words Populate your stories and your Facebook posts and your Twitter tweets. That's what it's saying. Rebel against our culture's tendency to lie, slander, gossip, manipulate, mock, insult. That's what the scripture's saying. Just because everybody else in your office speaks profanity, it's saying don't use foul or abusive language. You live counter-culturally. And God's not going to tell us to do this if it's not possible. It is possible. But it's not possible if it's not tried. Live counter-culturally. Rebel against it. The second biblical word of insight that can help us practice free speech, God's way, is this. We must respect the power of words. we got to respect the power of words. The Bible talks about this again everywhere all over the place. One of those locations is in James chapter 3, verse 3 and following. It just sort of illustrates. It says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. 
and a small rudder makes a huge ship, huge cruise ship. Just think of those cruise ships. I mean, huge things. But comparatively, there's a little small rudder at the rear end of the ship that makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame. It's that spark of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it itself set on fire by hell itself. I mean, that is really strong language that the Bible's using there. The passage is just saying, though, to us, it's just warning us that words freely spoken can have far-reaching consequences, sometimes intended, sometimes unintended. Sometimes those consequences are for us. Sometimes those consequences trickle down and affect others. But the appeal of Scripture in this passage and others is let's respect the power of words. This is important because in our culture sometimes there is such a, there, there's such a plethora of words, such a blizzard of them, that we begin to conclude it's all just throwaway. It's all just throwaway. But it's not. You never know what's going to catch fire and what's not. The biblical book of Proverbs is full of wise counsel about this idea of respecting the power of words. I just want to give you a few of these passages. Again, I hope you'll write them down. I hope you'll reflect on these. Uh, because this kind of paints the picture of how it can affect things. What we say, Proverbs 16, 24 says, kind of gives a positive picture here. It says, kind words are like honey. I love honey. Kind words are like honey. Sweet to the soul, healthy for the body. Just paints this picture that when when kind words are spoken from you or me to another, it's, it's just, you just picture honey just being spread over the top of them. Don't think about the stickiness factor. Think about, think about just that, that, that calm, that salve, the satisfaction, the, the peacefulness that just settles in on, on a person. That's, it's just, whew, it's like you can relax because there's kind words being spoken. It's, it's like honey like that. It's sweet to the soul healthy for the body. It's the picture of Scripture of the power of words. Proverbs 17, 5 says this, those who mock the poor. Now think about mock. I mean, we don't think of this, but that's a, that's a verbal thing, you know. Most of the time is verbal, verbalness involved there. Most, those who mock the poor insult their maker. Those who rejoice Celebrate, high five at the misfortune of others. Scripture says, we'll be punished. What's the point here? There are, words have consequences. Words have consequences even with God himself, the maker of all of humanity. Chapter 17, verse 19. If you notice, I'm not skipping around a whole lot. And why am I doing that? I just want you to see. You just start reading on this stuff and you're quickly going to find that this is everywhere all the time throughout Scripture. Chapter 17, or uh, verse 19 says, Anyone who loves to quarrel, finish it for me, loves sin. loves sin. And I included this in part for this next part. Anyone who trusts in high walls, what? Think about that. 
Let me say, this is Greg Montague speaking, not Southwoods Christian Church in this moment. I personally think we need walls. Having said that, he who trusts in walls for his protection invites danger, invites disaster. Scripture makes the case over and over again. Foolish kings trusted in their chariots. Foolish kings trust in their air force, their navy, etc., etc., etc. Doesn't mean it's not good to have those things. There's a place for them. And if you got them, you want to have the best you can have, right? Duh. But there's a difference between having them and trusting in them. If God is not defending our borders, we have no hope. We can have walls on top of walls, and it won't matter. Enough of the parenthetical sermonizing there. Has zero to do with our topic. But it is relevant, right? Proverbs 18, verse 6 and 7. Fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They're asking for a beating. You ever heard that phrase? It's like you're just asking for a beating. It comes from the Bible. person who says that probably didn't know that you know, in our generation, but it did. It comes right out of the Bible. It goes on and says, verse 7, The mouths of fools are their ruin. They trap themselves with their lips. You see this all the time. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue can bring death or life. Notice the contrast here. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. It's just to say there's power in words. It can bring life and health into somebody's life, into the world. It can bring death and destruction, ruin. And the more you love to hear yourself speak, the more likely it is that you're going to experience the consequences one way or the other of that. You and I need to respect the power of words. They can bless or curse our lives and the people around us. The third biblical word of insight that can help us practice free speech, God's way. And you have to understand, but before I keep going here, our founding fathers, uh, most of them, you know, I forget how, 29 of them had seminary degrees, were pastors of our founding, or of the signers of our declaration. Uh, 56, I, I forget, were like 56 of them, it's like, the overwhelming majority were Christians on a scale that honestly would shame me. And I read their, thing, their writings and look at their lives and the, the sacrifices and they made, and I'm humbled because I just look and I think, I, you know, I'm not worthy of the price they paid, you know, that we can have freedom. It's, it's truly astonishing to me. But when you, think about, when you think about the legacy of who they are and what they've handed down to us, it's uh, this whole free speech thing is an astonishing thing. The tongue can bring death or life. Where I want to go with this is this. The, the third biblical word of insight in light of all, all of this that can help us to practice free speech God's way is this. We need to remember the birthplace of our words. Our, our forefathers understood this. They knew the birthplace of our words. We don't. Uh, rarely do we think about this. Our words are just thoughts verbalized in our minds, the way our, our culture lives. But words give us a glimpse into the soul, the heart of the person speaking. This is where I was going with all that. It's our founding fathers grasped this because they believed this book. 
The preponderance of them did. Matthew chapter 15, verse 10 says this. Jesus called to the crowd nearby, come and hear. Listen, he said, and it's instructive to me, he says, and try to understand. Try to understand. The implication of him even saying those words is that you know, it requires a little effort. Not everybody tracks with all of this. And yet it, it's nonetheless true because Jesus is pointing this out. Verse 11, he says, It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. He's just saying that what comes out of our mouths corrupts, uh, slimes, defiles us. And he goes on a couple of verses later, and Peter says to him, Explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. The disciples didn't get it. Verse 16, don't you understand yet, Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But listen carefully. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft. Notice what's next. Lying and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Can I just say some of us here are clean freaks? All right? Right? Some of us, it's like you shake a hand, it's like you're afraid to touch anything. It's like you, gotta, you need to go wash that hand soon. I mean, you've conditioned yourself to get used to the fact that, you know, your hand is now dirty. It's now defiled. But I've got to get this hand clean soon. And we just kind of the way we operate, the way we live, some of us, right? Jesus is saying that when you and I slander, when we lie, I mean, that kind of stuff, it defiles us. I mean, we, we, are, we are body, soul, and spirit defiled. And the birthplace of all of that is the heart. The words reveal the corruption or the character of the one speaking. That's what he's trying to convey here. This, my friends, is part of what troubles me greatly when I listen to our leaders and so much of our media today. It's very concerning. So what do we do? If the birthplace of words and the blizzard of corrupt words that we hear going on around us is, if it's coming from the heart, as it says that it is, the text. Because let me just say, some of you are thinking to yourself, well, they're just saying what, I mean, they have talking points, they're just saying what, no, 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 no. no. A person with character would not repeat the talking points. You tracking with me? This is not a movie drama where you take on a character that's not you. This is not news. I mean, that's not the way it works. I mean, in our culture today, people take on these talking points and they just constantly espouse them because there's something inside of them that is in agreement with all of that. And if all of that flows from the soul somewhere, somewhere dark inside of every one of our souls, what do we do about this? What can I do? That brings me to a fourth biblical word of insight that can help all of us. 
practice free speech God's way, each of us, in one word, must repent. We must repent. Repent simply means say you're sorry and change your ways. On a highly practical level, that's what it means. Here's why that's important. Jesus clearly says to all of us in Scripture, Matthew 12, the little song that the kids sang. He says this, if we read the verses around the one that they sang, okay? A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. For whatever is in your heart determines what you say, verse 34 goes on and says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, listen, this is Jesus speaking, okay? This is Jesus speaking, not Greg. I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say... will either acquit you or condemn you. And he's not talking about the words you say on the day of judgment. He's saying the words that you and I say now, right now, will either acquit us or condemn us. Here's what Jesus is saying. Words which come from our heart and soul reveal whether our faith is sincere or fake. This is not about fake news in our day. This is about fake faith. Part of what is our problem today. And Jesus is trying to cut through the spin and say, a godly person will speak good words. And an ungodly person can be expected to be careless and habitually speak idle, evil kinds of words. That's what he's saying. Someone is sure to say in our culture to that, I thought all that mattered to God was my actions. Apparently, that's wrong. According to what Jesus just said. Our actions and our words together reveal the true condition of our hearts. You and I don't get to choose which measure we get, measurement we get judged by. We don't. God himself says, actions, words, reveal sincere faith or lack thereof. So every one of us needs to live with a humble spirit of repentance every day because who among us is without sin in what we say? Who? Especially in today's culture. None of us is innocent. Free speech, God's way, requires regular repentance from imperfect followers of Jesus like you and me as well as everybody else for that matter. Requires repentance. It also requires that each of us reduce the volume. This is a fifth biblical word of insight that can help us practice free speech God's way. I don't have time to fully develop this idea, but let me illustrate what I mean this way because this is really the, the fifth way that you and I practice free speech God's way. Have you ever tried to carry on a conversation with someone 
with the TV on in the background and it's just too loud. You ever done that? And you, you know, it's been on and it's the conversation's engaged and you want to talk, but it, it, before you know it, it's, you just can't hear. It's so loud you can't quite think well. What needs to happen? Someone just needs to get up, walk across the room, turn the volume down, right? Well, just as that needs to happen in our homes on occasion, sometimes it needs to happen in marriages, in communities, families, cultures, I believe in a nation. Spiritually speaking, here's how you and I can reduce the volume in a culture of free and, might I add, frequent speech. It's, there's never been so much speech going on, so much free speech in all of history. I, and there are blizzards of words flying at you and me verbally and through every digital device we have. So how do we reduce the volume of all of that? Well, we can practice the spiritual discipline of silence. This is a biblical thing. Some of us go, what? Never heard of that. I'm not talking about the silent treatment, you know, where you try to get the other person because now I'm mad at them, so I'm just not going to talk to them. That's, that's not what the practice, spiritual practice of silence is. Silence, and I mean, we, I've done whole messages on this. There are many, many books written about this, but essentially what it boils down to is it's just like making a commitment to talk less, post less, tweet less, expose my opinions less, have the last word less, etc., etc. It's just come to the place in my spirit that not everybody needs to know what I think. I, don't, I have not cornered the market on all wisdom. Consequently, somebody can say something wacky on Facebook and I don't have to respond to that. Maybe. Maybe I should be on Facebook less. Maybe I should be tweeting less. Maybe. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? It's just it's reducing the volume. This can be done. Jesus, if you remember, before his accusers, his own Mueller investigation, okay? Well, it was done by Pilate, okay? And if ever there was a kangaroo court, this was it. What's Jesus do when he's with Pilate, when he's with the Sanhedrin, who, of course, want his head? What's he do? He's silent. Now, if you read the text, you know that that doesn't mean that he never ever spoke throughout the course of the time because he did speak to Pilate and he did speak to the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling body who ultimately found you know, him guilty and trumped up charges and ended up executing him. It doesn't mean that you never speak to be silent. It just means that he took a posture of like, I'm not going to be overtly defensive. I'm not going to argue with these people. That doesn't mean that there's never a time for that. Please don't understand, misunderstand. But it is to say if you want to turn the volume down, which frankly needs to happen in our world, you just turn it off. That's kind of what you do. We've had issues at our home at times, not lately, thankfully, but I think of like 
where we've had issues with one of our toilets and the water just keeps flowing and because the, the filler was messed up and you know, next thing you know, you got water all over the floor and you're just thinking, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? It just keeps flowing and it's just flooding everything. What do you do? Well, you reach down to that little valve on the side wall. This is like a public service announcement if you didn't know that. <laughs> you reach down there and you take that valve and you turn it real fast because there's water everywhere and guess what? It shuts all the water off to your commode. And before you know it, you know, now you can clean it up because there's not more just pouring onto it all the time. That's what you do. If we want to reduce the flow, reduce the volume, we just got to turn it off. It's part of what we got to do. There's a time to speak up and there's a time for silence. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to discern between the two if we want to reduce the volume, you and I also need to bless and pray for those who choose not to do that. Bless and pray for those who just keep cursing and mocking and insulting and lying and slandering and defaming and trying to manipulate with their words. We need to bless them and pray for them. Our tendency is to want to harshly insult, correct, curse those who curse or condemn us in some way or just mock us in some way. But Scripture tells us, Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. This is totally counterintuitive. Again, it's just like another instance, rebel against your natural tendencies, rebel against the cultural norm. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. It goes on a few verses later to say, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with, with everyone. Just you know, try. Do everything that you can. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the scriptures say, this is quoting God from the Old Testament, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord, which is to say, yes, God loves our world. Yes, he loves every one of us more than we can comprehend. But do you think, is it possible to love your child and be frustrated with your child at the same time? Answer me. Of course it is. God loves humanity and is irritated to where his eyes are going to explode sometimes. I know that's graphic, but it is, that is how he is sometimes. Read your Bible. And he says, the day is coming. I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And the scripture goes on to advise us this way. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So much more could be said about all of this. But that's a little of how our Creator instructs us in Scripture to use our mouths. And that's enough that if you and I take seriously what he says, um, it may not make a difference in Washington or may not make a difference in some other places, but it'll make a difference in our personal lives and our families and our home. It'll make a difference here. It'll make a difference in our community, everywhere we go. 
Every one of us has room to grow in this area. And here's what gives me hope about it all. The Holy Spirit is promised in Scripture that if we seek Him for wisdom and guidance on this kind of thing, He'll help us. He'll help me with me. He'll help me as a husband. He'll help me as a father. He'll help me as a pastor. He'll help me as a citizen of this country. He'll help you. He'll help us. But we do need to seek him. And when we find what he instructs us to do, we need to the best of our ability with his empowerment try to put into practice what he says. The other thing that gives me hope is the same God who originally raised up this nation. The same God who gave our founding fathers the idea of free speech to begin with. One of these days he is returning. And regardless of how messed up things end up, he will help them to be made right and new. And in the meantime... I need to do what I can right here in me. And you need to do what you can do in you. We need to walk humbly in his ways and speak as he's taught us to speak and pray as he's taught us to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and uh, I want to close with prayer. In particular this morning, first of all, I just say, you know, if you need to invite Jesus into your heart and life this morning, if you've, I mean, I want to say he loves you, just as we've talked about. But it's important that every one of us understand he loves you. He wants you to love him. He's not codependent toward you and me. What I mean by that is that he's, he doesn't have to have us. He's chosen us. He's chosen you. And he loves you more than his own life. And if you'll humble yourself and if you'll turn to him... He has already turned to you. Just invite him in. He will meet you where you are. He'll show you mercy. He'll help every one of us grow up, every one of us to become good and godly with time. If we listen to him, if we allow his Holy Spirit who dwells within us, comes when we invite him in to mold and shape us, we take his word seriously. He'll change us for the better. Every one of us, he'll do that. Maybe you need this morning to invite him into your life. Maybe you need to demonstrate the sincerity of your decision to follow him through baptism. We're going to do that next. We're going to have that available next week. If you have never done that, I encourage you. Grab me afterwards. Let me know. We'll, we'll include you next week. I want you to be a part of that. Maybe you need prayer for some area of your life. If you do, afterwards, come on down and we'll pray about that. But as we wrap up this morning, what I want to do is I just want us to pray for our nation and pray for our culture because... Um, I can't explain it, but in my spirit, I just feel like this is kind of a tipping point time for our nation, some of this. And it's very important that we who are God's people pray. It just is. Because what makes the difference for security is not walls along borders. And what makes the difference, you know, in the character of a nation is not always, um, you know, Politicians who say all the right things. It really is about the spirit and 
we have an obligation to pray for our, for our leaders, for our nation. And this morning as we wrap up, I just want us to do that because of the nature of the talk, okay? Join me in that. And uh, then if you need prayer for something personally, come on down afterwards. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you that you care about us. Thank you that you made us with the ability to communicate the fact that you made us and have loved us and made us possible to communicate with each other and with you is truly an astounding thing. It's not an accident. It was a choice on your part. We're so grateful. Some of the greatest blessings in our lives have been things that people have said to us. Some of the greatest pain in our lives have been things that people have said to us. We thank you for what you have said to us in your word. That nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you that you've told us that in your word. Thank you you've told us that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. Thank you for that. Thank you for so many other things that you've said. And that you mean. You've demonstrated that not just in word but in action. Help us as your people to bring our words and actions into alignment, into obedience to you. That's what you've called us to do. You've made us for that. It leads to life and health and blessing everywhere around us. Lord, as we look at our nation and just how many people have just thrown off restraint with regard to their mouths, the things that they'll say in printed form that they would never verbalize to somebody face to face. But rants that they'll go on. God, forgive us as a nation because we know this reveals the heart of us as a nation. We're so sorry that this is who we are as a nation. But more than that, we ask for help. In addition to that, we ask for help. Rescue, deliverance, Pray for our national leaders, God. We, we pray that you would help the volume there to be reduced, for humility of spirit to be reintroduced to the national scene, for fake news to be cut off, for truth to once again be held in high regard and respected, for the rule of justice and law and order to be championed triumphed to win out over evil selfishness greed and so much else God these are things that only you can make happen we have no idea how to make that happen but we know it's good we know it's consistent with your word and we know we need it not just in America but around the, around the globe so God, would you help us? Would you help us to do our part in our homes, with our mouths, with our electronic devices? Help us to speak freely as you've given us the privilege of doing it. But help us to speak righteously in a free manner. we'll give you credit for every good thing that happens because of that and we look forward to the day 
when that's all there is all the time because Jesus is king. Thank you, God, for your grace. May your blessing rest on all of these people, everyone who's listening. Help us to walk in these ways for Jesus' sake. His name we pray. Amen.